Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 643, with Damien Mandola. I think that was the first one I ever saw. I was like, wow, you know, the open kitchen and, uh, you know, the, the cooks and chef is, are right there in the dining room. And there's that buzz. You're not, you know, the waiters aren't just going behind these this closed wall, these doors. But now it's live. It's flames. It's, you know, chaos. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website gets on it. When your employees are empowered to speak up internally, you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems. Ethics Suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry, including the restaurant industry. Unethical workplace behavior is a threat. It's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable it doesn't get easier than cake cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use with cloud-based access from any device 24 7 customer support and a lifetime access to cake university how could you not love cake to learn more about cake point of sale head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable and because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener you will save 750 dollars off activation again that's trycake.com slash unstoppable Unstoppable. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Damien Mandola, my man. Damien, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am ready to go. Let's rock and roll, <laughs> All right. Damien's 40-plus years of experience started with Damien's Fine Italian Food, a restaurant he started as a college senior in 1975. Uh, Damien's experience took him from his first restaurant to becoming a fixture in the Houston restaurant scene, first with... Uh, Say it for me. I feel like I'm a D'Amico. D'Amico's. Thank you. Then to uh, Damien's Cucina Italiana. Then to the national scene with the Carabas uh, Italian Grill, a restaurant uh, he founded with nephew Johnny Caraba, past guest on the show. Awesome guest. That's how I connected with you. Thank you, Johnny, for the introduction. And then you moved to uh, the Austin area where you started the Mandola's um, restaurant family, promoting Italian culture, uh, cuisine, te- Throughout Texas, opening the Mendola's uh, Italian Kitchen and Trattoria Luciana. That's Lucina. Right? Lucina, thank you so much. The worst Italian in the world I am. I'm so sorry. You're doing we okay. have four locations now, with maybe a fifth on the way, but yes. maybe we're not allowed to talk about that one yet. All right? No, that's okay. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Awesome. I cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out who you are and how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote. Or mantra, what do you got for us? Well, you know, in the restaurant business, it's all about the details. You know, from 
the lighting to the uh, tableware, the glassware, uh, presentation. So it's attention to detail, treating your customers with respect, uh, making sure they have a good time, and uh, just have fun. You know, once you're set up and you're ready to go and everything, the, the scene is set, then I tell our kitchen staff and our service staff, okay, now let's have fun. And that's kind of my mantra, if you want to ask me. I love it. And I'm, I'm so happy that you said attention to detail because when we were talking to your, your nephew, Johnny Caraba, um, when, I talk, when I was asking him about you and what he learned from you, it was that importance to, to attention to detail. So that's the cool. stories are already starting to line up here. Uh, I can't wait to, to dive further into your story. So take us to where it makes sense. Uh, when did you know that this was going to be your path? You, you come from a family of restaurateurs, correct? Well, what happened was... Um, my brother Tony had gotten in the restaurant business first. I think it was in 1972. Uh, he went to school with, uh, we went to school with the Lorenzo family. Uh, there was uh, four boys and one girl, uh, Phyllis Lorenzo, who married my brother and thus became Phyllis Mandola. And their mother, Ninfa Lorenzo, opened Ninfa's. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Ninfa's on navigation. And it was revolutionary. I mean, nobody had ever eaten fajitas back then. I didn't even know that, 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 that was the connection. Yeah. Uh, Ninfa's, uh, I've eaten at Ninfa's, and I've had the Johnny, um, John Horowitz yes. on the show, the current president, uh, yeah. uh, CEO. Uh, of yeah, but he's, they sold it to him years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was Ninfa and her son, Jack, who is my brother's best friend, and my, uh, uh, my sister-in-law, Phyllis, who's married to Tony. So <clears throat> I was about to graduate from Sam Houston State. And a friend of mine named Nash Tomiko, who was really closer to my brother's age, and they really hung out together. Uh, we were at a wedding in Houston, and Nash asked me, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, that's a good question. So Nash said, well, you know what? You know, Tony's doing real well. Why don't we open a restaurant in Huntsville? You know, we can get our feet wet and learn the business. I'd never been in the business. Nash had never been in the business. So Nash, you know, hey, when you go back, you know, to Huntsville, Check around. Maybe we can find a location. So the landlord of our apartment complex happened to have a little cafe downtown that had been abandoned. So we went to see it. and Well, I went to see it. And it had ch- tables and chairs. It had some kitchen equipment. The place needed some freshening up, a lot of freshening up. So I called Nash down. We went and looked at it. And then we went to meet. Uh, his name was Bo Cruz. And... Um, we made a deal, $350 a month. Wow. Nash borrowed $2,500 from his parents, and I did the same for my parents. And with $5,000, we opened Damien's Cucina Italiana. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> June, on June 16th, 1975. Wow. And so, my, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just really curious. I mean, coming up in this amazing uh, Houston restaurant family, um, any lessons that you drew from those who came before you who really laid the foundation making you who you are and giving you the values in business knowledge maybe i don't know i don't want to assume too much you know it was from the beginning and really nobody had been in the restaurant business in my family so i was tony and i were the first ones and later my brother vincent got you uh but uh it was you know a lot harder than i thought my mom taught me everything you know how to uh, make the sauce and the eggplant and the the uh, seasoned breadcrumbs, the meatballs. And so I had to go to her house and of course she never measured anything. So when she went to put the Parmesan or the Romano cheese and the meatballs, I would have to stop her and put a, uh, 
put a measuring cup, you know, put this in here, mom. And then I wrote down, you know, yep. how much Romano cheese, mm-hmm. how many bread, you know, how much breadcrumb. And that's how, and then when we, I got to know how to do it. And then um, right before we opened, she came up to Huntsville and we made it all together and mm. got it ready. So, awesome. Yeah. So what were the lessons, looking back, knowing what you know today, <laughs> with being so seasoned in the industry, reflecting back on what you were doing then, what did you do right? And maybe tell us what you would have done differently knowing what you know now. Well, again, I, I think what I did, what we did mostly that was right was hospitality, visiting our customers and getting to know our customers. Um, what I could have done better, I think, was learning more about the food of other Italian regions. Um, I'm not sure that's my fault, but, you know, all I knew was what I was raised on. And so the spaghetti and meatballs and lasagna got me by for a while. But my second restaurant that Nash and I opened, we moved back to Houston and we opened D'Amico's, named after him this time. And a good customer that would come in, his name was Tony Vallone. Tony was a great restaurateur, nationally known, nationally acclaimed restaurant. And Tony would come in after he closed his restaurant down and we'd sit at a table and just talk shop. Oh. Yeah, and then one day he came in and he gave me a book and he signed it. And uh, it was a book by Giuliano Bugiali. And Giuliano Bugiali, who just passed away, was a famous Tuscan chef. He wasn't a chef like a restaurant chef, but he was a home cook. And he would come to town. I read, I read the whole book. And not so much the recipe, but I read in between the recipes mm. or why this dish, the history of it why you did it this way, etc. And then he came to town one day to do a cooking class, and uh, we, he made fresh pasta and just got to know the guy, just a really gentleman, Tuscan. And then there was another book that uh, I, then I started reading, you know, other books. And there was a another famous author. Her name was uh, uh, Marcella Hazan. And she was Bolognese. She was from Bologna. And so it was a whole different kind of food than Tuscan food. And then I just, and again, I read between the lines. I just didn't read the recipe. And then I just started getting interested in other dishes. And so I started doing that at D'Amico's. And uh, then I could just, I have like over 200 cookbooks that I haven't read all of them. But, you know, I just love the food. I started traveling to New York. Boston, just learning more and talking to chefs, and I started traveling to Italy and going to all the different cities and just picking chefs' brains and restaurateurs' brains, and uh, I just had a passion for it, and I loved it. You know, I think if you wake up every morning and you're miserable about going to work, then you need to change jobs, even if you may make a little less money. Yeah, man, I'm loving what you're giving us right now. And the big thing I'm taking away from you is that the process of learning never ends. That's great. And that's one of the key lessons I've learned is you don't learn what it takes just the bare minimum to open a restaurant and that's, that's right. it. It's a never ending process of learning And the way that you learn. I think is worth pointing out too, is finding people who are doing it or who have done it and, and learning from them. That's exactly what we're here to do today. Right. We're, we're, sit, we're sitting down. I'm here to learn from you to get your story, to get your knowledge and then, you know, pay attention and really act on that advice that's and, correct. and talk to multiple t- people, get different perspective. And that's another thing that you did yes. because what worked for one person might not work for you. So yes. you might, you need all that perspective. And then I just want to add on reading between the lines, right? Um, yes. Really looking deeper 
than what's right there in front of you to, to get the, the, the details. And again, yeah, I think it goes back to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think when, when you have the history and you have the knowledge, you can serve a meal and the meal is going to be delicious, but it's going to be sticky if you can serve that meal with knowledge. Like this is the, the origin of this meal. This is why this, we do it this way. And when you educate people, it, that, that compounds on the experience. And it's yeah. so, so important. Do you want to reflect on what I shared? Yeah, you know, uh, you touched on it. You know, um, customers, you, you'd have a dinner and customers would either ask you or you would tell them, this is a uh, Tuscan dish, you know, it's, uh, they use the leftover bread. You know, Italians don't waste anything. Mm. My mother was chief of not wasting. And so uh, the Tuscans would take uh, leftover bread, day old or two day old, and uh, they would make a, a salad called panzanella. And it was in the summertime, and the tomatoes were ripe, and, uh, and it would be made with tomatoes and cucumber and red onion, thin and sliced and some herbs, some fresh basil, and they would, uh, olive oil, of course, and a little vinegar, and they would toss the bread cubes. They would Mm. make the bread in cubes. And so the bread got real soft and absorbed the uh, olive oil and the juice from the tomatoes, etc. And it was a refreshing dish. And so you learn those things by reading recipes, and you learn why they did this, to use up the leftover bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another dish, Tuscan dish, called ribolita. And again, they would make minestrone, and they would take the leftover bread, and when the minestrone was finished cooking, they would throw these cubes of bread in, and the bread would soak up the soup. So when you have this soup, it's a real thick porridge, let's say. And again, you just uh, you learn as you go. Mm-hmm. And customers would either ask about the history of the dish or what's in the dish. And these are Eustonians that a lot of back then you didn't travel as much. You know, the world was, you know, the, yeah. you didn't get away. And so, especially internationally. And so it was a, a teaching experience and a learning experience for them and a learning experience for me, too. Because I was living vicariously through them. And it was just fun to be able to share the knowledge of what this dish is. I love it. So kind of, um, you know, reading between the lines, if you will, mm-hmm. going back to your story. Uh, and you opened this first restaurant in uh, 1975 and then your second restaurant. I'm, I don't know why I'm struggling with this. It's Demont. I think it's because the apostrophe is in there. Yeah, Demico's. forget the apostrophe. <laughs> um, what? What was the reason for closing the first restaurant and opening the second restaurant? Was there something that you didn't consider? or No, we were ready to move back to Houston, and we kept it open until the other one was up and running. We just wanted to move back to Houston, and you know we weren't knowledgeable enough to run yeah. a restaurant you know, 120 miles away. You had to sharpen your teeth in an easier market. There you go. Yep. And so... We opened, and uh, you know we had things like mussels, steamed mussels. We used to have never seen steamed yeah. mussels, and mussels, and uh, I got that from New York. You know, traveling New York, and you know, I never even had a mussel. I didn't eat mussels or clams growing up, octopus mm. or things like that. So, uh, yeah, we moved back to home. We named the restaurant after Nash uh, D'Amico, and opened on Westheimer, between Shepherd and uh, Alabama. And, uh, yeah, that's that was pretty much it. So when you're traveling around talking to all these restaurateurs and chefs, um, and, I mean, would you experience one of their meals and try to recreate it? Or would you actually oh, yeah. approach them and say, hey, um, I'm from Houston. I'm a restaurateur myself. Are you willing to tell me how you did this? And how were they receptive to that? Oh, yeah, most of them were receptive. Uh, 
and uh, you would both try to knock it off, and then you would also just ask them. And most rest, uh, you know, uh, owners or chefs are willing to share, unless it's like a real special dish that their restaurant is famous for. Like fajitas. <laughs> yeah, you may have a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. I but, said fajitas. I should probably add some content there because <laughs> your your family, uh, Ninfa's restaurant, uh, was supposedly like the founder of the fajita. Right? Yeah, they popularized it. Now, you know, the Hispanic, the Mexican people yeah. have been eating. Yeah. And back then, it was a, how do I say this, a, a cheap cut of meat. Yeah. But again, just like other uh uh, nationalities or whatever, the Mexicans didn't let, any, let anything go to waste. Mm-hmm. And so Ninfa just brought it to the, you know, the forefront. And I, I would imagine back then you could buy fajitas for <laughs> 75 cents a pound. I don't yeah. know what they are now. Probably approaching $10 a pound. Probably. And she had a wonderful marinade that I've tried to knock off. I've even asked Jack about it. And I don't think he told me the truth. <laughs> it's kind of a, a secret. So to, to round off that question, why I brought that up is when you are approaching these people to, to to get knowledge from them, how do you do it in a way that they're more willing to give you the knowledge? Is there a way that you approach them? Or is there an approach that we can recreate? Well, first off, you have to let them know you're from another city <laughs> in the South, especially. Yeah. And just be nice, you know, and I'm just I'm just learning the business and uh, just, you know, trying to soak up as much as I can. You're a you know experienced chef, which you know you kind of butter them up a little bit, which helps. And then uh, all they can say is no. You know, uh, my mother-in-law says, if you don't ask, you don't dance. It's like dating. Yeah. <laughs> so you you know you have to ask yeah. if you don't ask. And so the other thing that uh, Johnny uh, Carabo, your nephew, credited you for is your your vision. Yeah. We talked a lot about your attention to detail right yeah. now, and, and being willing to pull back those layers and to get the story and to not leave any leaf unturned but where do you think you get your vision take, 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 give us some advice on how to i mean i think it's one of those things you have or you don't have so it's hard to really give advice on it but if you can take a crack at it yeah you know it's just again paying attention and a very big component is being passionate about it how caraba started i had opened uh damien's cucina in 1984 and I, back then, I just started going to New York, the East Coast, and um, I was in New York uh, by myself for some reason. I'm walking down the Avenue of the Americas, and I see this line out the street on the sidewalk. So I went in, and I kind of looked, and the name of the restaurant was Mezzaluna, Half Moon. So I waited in line. I want, you know, I want to see what this is all about. And so when I got inside, it was a small restaurant. The bar was on the right, but it wasn't a liquor bar. It was a wine bar. And the wood-burning pizza oven was right there, too. And so it was a combination bar, and then there was a pizzaiolo, a pizza maker, making the pizzas. And I went, wow, look at this, you know. And it's very small, maybe 2,000 square feet, and these good-looking Italian waiters, you know, with the bistro apron, and these good-looking young girls that are checking out the good-looking Italian waiters. <laughs> so I sat by myself, and I got to eat after a wait, and uh, all they served was antipasti, pizza, salads, and then the wine, I think some beer. And I just fell in love with that. I said, you know, Houston hasn't had, doesn't have anything like this. So on the way home, uh, on the plane, uh, I just started making a menu, you mm. know, of things I had read about and uh, I got home and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do because I wanted to do this, but I couldn't do it because I just opened my restaurant. 
So I thought about who could I partner with, and you know, first one to come to mind was, of course, my nephew Johnny Caraba, which was an excellent choice. Yeah, I think we need to tap the brakes here uh, to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll come back and we'll dive more into that story. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant's hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. All right, we're back and you were just talking about uh, vision uh, and uh, the opportunity for this new restaurant and knowing that you didn't have the bandwidth with that, which I think is really smart. Um, some people try to, to take on too much, right? And yes. as a result, all restaurants suffer. Yeah, you have to be careful. Yep. So um, we we're talking about vision. Um, and I, I don't know what I can extract from a, a lesson from vision. I think it sounds like what are you, when you're designing a restaurant, are you thinking, are you trying to recreate what you experienced? Or do you have to take what you experience and adapt it to where you are? And then you're also taking into consideration, do I have the bandwidth to execute this vision? Do I need more people to, to recruit more people to execute? What's going through your mind when you're when you're pulling these things together? Well, you know, you're, you're taking from, like I saw this Metzaluna, and then you're taking from your past experience, although I didn't have that many restaurants in the past. And then there's just a knack I have for how to set the table, you know, in, uh, as a metaphor. Uh, and I just knew when I saw Metzaluna what I wanted. And Johnny and I probably had the first wood-burning pizza oven in the Southwest. You know, nobody seen wood-burning pizza ovens. And um, the Metzaluna was started by a, a, a Fiat executive who was located in New York in the offices. And I, the story goes he just got tired of the suit and tie life and and uh, opened Metzaluna. And it spawned a lot of restaurants uh, that copied the, the concept. And I just thought, you know, you have to take it back. When you take it back, you have to do the basic Metzaluna, but then you have to adjust it to Texas. You know, uh, they had no much protein, so I had to put steak. You know, Texans want a steak. Yeah. And Gulf Coast, you have to have fish. And we did a wood-burning grill, oat, pecan, which they didn't have, and uh, did some of... Mama Dolly, my my mother, they called her Mama Dolly, the the grandkids. Again, some of her food, and then we did some of the food I'd learned about in books or learned from other restaurateurs. And we put it all together, and uh, it, it worked. You know, it was a... Carabas in about the first month just started clicking, and it became the spot to be. Mm. Um, so... I want to dive deeper into this, what you shared, uh, a knack for setting the table. Mm-hmm. So when you are setting the table, when you are 
bringing these things together and laying things out on the table, or in this case, the business, like the foundation of your business, like what things do you think you take into consideration that other people don't take into consideration? I don't know. You know, uh, that's a hard question because I don't know what other people are thinking, but just the layout of the restaurant, the landscaping, uh, the way things flow, the design of the kitchen, open kitchen, we were one of the first ones probably that I know of. And I, we got that idea. Johnny and I went to the West Coast, San Francisco and L.A., and Wolfgang Puck had an open kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first one I ever saw. And was like, wow, you know, the open kitchen. And, uh, you know, the, the cooks and chef is, are right there in the dining room. Yeah. And there's that buzz. You're not, you know, the waiters aren't just going behind these this closed wall, these doors. But now it's live. It's mm-hmm. flames. It's, you know, chaos. You know, kitchens are chaos mm-hmm. in commercial kitchens. And along with the wood-burning pizza oven, that was another element, you know. Uh, and it just it brings a life to the restaurant. And Carrabba's, the original Carrabba's, was real small, the old building. And the, the bigger, the, the newer building is, is you know, it's funny like you mentioned four that. times bigger. Because <laughs> yeah. I was thinking to myself, because I knew that the original building was a porn shop, yeah, right? It's and <laughs> when I went there last week, I'm thinking to myself, this porn shop must have been nice off one. the hook. Uh. Yeah, it was originally a lump steakhouse, and then it was a sizzler. And then um, it turned into a porn shop. It was a guy from Chicago. I think he was connected. (laughs) And uh, I looked at it for Damien's, but they wanted too much. And then when I decided to do, Johnny and I decided to team up, I went back and talked to the realtor, you know, and they were getting a lot of pressure from the River Oaks community, which is a very wealthy community. And so they had dropped the price significantly. So Johnny and I... Uh, bought it. Of yeah. course, it took a long. We didn't buy it outright, but it took a long time to get the financing. Ten, you said you guys went to ten banks. Ten banks, and then finally, uh, there's these good customers that used to be at Damien's, uh, the Mention Brothers, uh, Ralph and Ira, I think. And I just have to mention, I didn't know they were bank owned banks. And I just have to mention, you know, my nephew and I are trying to open a restaurant, but we're having trouble. Yeah. And they gave me a card and said, "Here, you call Rhonda Lewis." And she's our loan officer at the bank. You're bringing up a huge point right now that has come up a lot in the past, and I haven't heard it in a while, but the idea that you need to treat every customer like they're your future investor. That's correct. Because you don't know who you're talking to. That's right. You don't know who is sitting down at your table. And if you treat everybody like a VIP and you care for them like they could be the next $1 million check, you know, then, I I mean, that's not why we do what we do, but when you treat everybody like a VIP and you care for them, the, that comes back around. Yeah. You know, the, the the universe pays attention to that. Um, and it's so powerful to just to have that mentality that, you know, we got to treat everybody like they're our next investor. To, That's to right. Them. You never know. You never know who's sitting on those tables. Just like what happened with the Outback and the Carabas yeah. chain, a guy named Tim Gannon. Before we get into that, because oh, I want to get into that, okay. we kind of did uh, jump right over um, Damien's Kachina. Uh, anything worth bringing to the surface before moving on and really dissecting the evolution of Carabas? You know, uh, Damien's, I, I used to visit Rome. And in Rome, the waiters have these white jackets, uh, white shirt, black pants, uh, black uh, long tie. Oh, is that bow tie? I can't remember. And Damien's, it wasn't elegant. It was a, 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 a trattoria or a bistro, as the French say. A very kind of casual, but yet a little dressy. I love that feel, that that Roman waiter, you know, feel. And that's where I got the idea for that, just, you know, observing. And um, 
So I brought that, and that's what I wanted to do for for Damien's Cucina. And then, again, the menu was, uh, you know, things I had learned from books. Now now we're getting away from Mama, Mm -hmm. uh, except maybe her marinara sauce. But we're getting away from spaghetti and meatballs, and now we're going to tartellini and osso buco. Getting away from American Italian. Yeah, and going to classic Mm -hmm. Italian. So, yeah, and that's how that progressed. So every restaurant... It progressed, and I progressed. Mm. So you've given us a lot of uh, detail, pun intended, on the food and how you're uh, progressing as a chef. And uh, I should have introduced you as a chef. I apologize. I don't know uh, if I'm a chef. I'm a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what about business? As you were opening one, two, and three, um, what did you learn about business? And what did you do differently with each new opening that you learned the hard way with the first two openings. So this is, um, Damien's is your, your set, your third restaurant. Right? That's right. Mm-hmm. So did you do anything different as far as like how to set up the furniture, how to set up the systems and the processes and the operation in the accounting in marketing, anything along those lines that you can share with us as you, yeah, go? you know, as you go along, you learn more about your, your employees, you know, if your employees aren't happy, you don't treat them respect when turn, they're going to turn around and not treat your, customers with respect did you learn this the hard way oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> what happened uh, tell us the story that just you know uh you i would be uh i was young i was hot-headed and so when a waiter would mess up then i would you know throw something <laughs> you know just lose my temper but well, that's not professional so i learned over time as i mellowed that you know you can't do that to people you have to treat people with respect and which helps uh, and then as far as business and learning business, you know, I didn't learn much from other restaurateurs because I didn't have time to sit down with them. But I had a really good customer, Saudi Arabian guy, brilliant, graduated from MIT at 18, great businessman. His name was Saud Al-Sawaya, and just a wonderful guy, and, uh, a genius. He taught me a lot about business and how to pay people and how to keep your business afloat because, believe me, it it was tough. What know. was the biggest lesson he taught you? A specific lesson that you weren't doing that he said, you need to do it like this. Well, when I was really down and I owed a lot of people a lot of money, I called him one day and I said, so how, how do I do this, you know? He said, well, first thing you do is you pay your taxes. Yep. Then you call your purveyors and you say, I'm struggling. I'm going to pay you, but if you cut me off, I can't sell food and then I can't pay you. So I can pay you a little bit at a time every week or every month. And then I promise you I'm going to catch up. And a lot of purveyors, you know, had faith in me. And I was faithful to them because of that. And then at the end of the conversation, Sode said something that really stuck with me. He said, you know, Damien, it builds character. <laughs> and it's true. What you is know, it? It builds character. What is it? Being, being down and out. Being mm. struggling. Uh, failure, you know, is the first step to being successful. I can't remember. I heard this not too long ago. You know, failure is not failure. It's how you handle failure. And another thing I learned, and I, I pass it on to young people, don't ever, ever give, give up. No matter how down it is, how on the floor, how buried you are, don't ever give up. Even if you fail the first time, dust yourself off, get up, and just go back at it. And work hard. It's all about working hard. You know, my children, a lot of this generation, and I don't mean to sound like an old 66-year-old fuddy-duddy, but 
they don't know. My children don't know how hard I worked. I mean, I used to sleep on a little love seat that was in the bar at D'Amico's between lunch and dinner. And, you know, it was a love seat, so I, my head would be popped up and my yeah. feet would be, I'd get a, oh my a gosh. crick in my I neck. I can only imagine. And so from 2 to 5, I'd sleep, take a nap, and then the doors open and I'd go back to work. And that I'd makes- be there from 8 in the morning till close it down at midnight or 1 I'd get home. That's hard work. Restaurant business, there's a famous restaurant tour, and I hope I don't ramble on. No, you're good. His name is Sirio Maccioni. He's retired now, but he had Le Cirque in New York City, very famous restaurant upscale. And he has a documentary out, and so it it's black, and it fades to light, and it's just a close-up of his face. And the first thing out of his mouth is, this is a hard business, and it's true. You know, you don't get, I remember being at Damien's in Huntsville, and we had a little window uh, that looked out on a, a filling station. I say filling station, my kids make, a gas station. My children make fun of me. <laughs> And it'd be spring break, and I'm making pizza looking out this window, and these kids are filling up their tanks and going inside and getting beer, and they're going to spring break. These girls in their little bikini tops, you know, their dookie daisies, daisy dukes. And you're going, man, I'm 20 years old, and look, everybody's going out and having fun. But you know what? I, I fought through it. And I don't know where those guys are today, but I know I've been pretty successful. Yeah, um, I love it. So I think we can transition back to um, – you know, having this vision for Carabas, and you started talking about uh, how hard it was having to go to ten banks. Um, one thing that I got from my interview with Johnny, your nephew, was that you—he was working for your your brother at the time. Was yeah, it Victor? yeah, that was kind of a tough deal. Victor or is that uh, Tony? Right? Tony, Tony, Tony. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious to get your perspective on uh, because I, from what I gathered from my conversation with Johnny, it was there was a little bit of a turbulence there for a while when you stole Johnny from Victor. Take us to that. Oh, sorry, Tony. Thank you. Well, you know, as I said, I had opened Damien's Cucina and I, I saw this restaurant, Metzaluna, and I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So the first person to pop in my mind was my nephew, Johnny, who was working for my brother, Tony, at his oyster bar. So when I came back, I went over to see Johnny and we sat down and I laid out my vision. And uh, he said, well, let me think about it, and I'll talk it over with my parents. So I went back to work at uh, Damien's within, you know, I got there, and I was there about 10 minutes, and the hostess comes up and says, Damien, Johnny's on the phone. Yeah, okay. So I go into the phone. I said, what's up? He said, I'll do it. I talked to my parents, and I'm in. (laughs) So I told Johnny, okay, great. I said, well, the next thing to figure out is how to break this to my brother. I really don't. I'm remember. really curious. Huh? I'm curious. What do you remember? What uh, Johnny said? His parents said. I, you know, I just think that he was enthused about it, and they knew he was going to have to take a chance in order to get his own place. And you know, my brother-in-law Johnny, Johnny's father, you know, and his father, Johnny's grandpa, were in the grocery business, and so they were. Entrepreneurs, if you want to use that word, back then we're in third ward. We're just, yeah. you know, there's the little mom and pop grocery store. So I know they wanted better for Johnny, and they thought, well, this is his shot. So the next thing was to tell my brother Tony. So then Johnny and I, mostly me, we go, you know, call my brother, hey, Tony, I need to come talk to you. And you know what? He was gentlemanly, you know, and he congratulated Johnny. So he, he's a good guy, you know, he took it well. I'm sure it hurt, you know, yeah. he lost a manager. 
I was going to ask to, to for some context, like what what kind of weight was Johnny bearing on his shoulders at that time for your brother? Like what? I think is you know that's his uncle. Yeah. And so I think uh, you know he was worried, he was scared, uh, apprehensive. You know. Yeah. Trepidatious is a big word. I like that one. I learned that about six months What's ago. What's it mean? Help me out. I'm not that smart. <laughs> I think to tread lightly, you know, okay. <laughs> be careful. Um, yeah, so it was a tough deal. Yeah, it was tough. But I think that the, the big thing that I'm taking away from this, and it's not uh, a negative, I'm not trying to be negative towards your, your brother, but um, people need opportunity. Sure. And if you're not going to give them the opportunity, if you're going to, if they're going to hit a ceiling with you and not grow, maybe, who knows, maybe Tony had plans. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, you got to, people are going to go to where there's opportunity and you need to provide them that opportunity because they will go someplace else. And I think, and, you know, he, he went and he talked to his parents and his parents saw the same thing. This is a great opportunity. Correct. You know, and you can go much further as a partner than working as a manager. Yeah, here. you're easing into it. Yeah. So um, I get that, you know, and that's, that's kind of how I understand do you have any thoughts from Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny you touched on that. I've had in the past, still today, waiters or cooks that put in their notice and, you know, they'll talk to me and say, well, you know, I've got an opportunity to open my own restaurant. I found a found a spot, you know. And you know what? I'll say, great, man. I'm proud of you. I wish you all the luck in the world. And they're kind of taken aback that yeah. I'm so nice about it and that I'm wishing them well. But... Hey, I got a chance. Uh, everybody should have a chance. You know, I want people to better themselves. And if they move on and they're successful and they take a shot at it, and I'll go eat at their restaurant, you know, and bring a, bring flowers and say, man, congratulations on your opening. Uh, I love that. It makes me feel good. Not only them feel good, but, you know, it, it helps me. Yeah, and that, that, that's your restaurant family within sure. the community. Like, sure. And, you you know, we can't look at other people opening restaurants as competition. I mean, they are technically competition, but you can be friends with your competition. Sure. You know, you can help each other out. You can support one another. You're stronger together. That's right. You know, than if you are fragmented. Yeah. Um, so I think we left off. You, you finally got the loan, right? Uh, Ten after 10 banks yeah you got the loan because of the energy right that you were putting out there yes uh, and taking care of people you never know um so take us to that point you got the loan you're about to open carabas now this is your fourth restaurant now you're seasoned now you're experienced <laughs> now you're the guy that everybody looks to for advice right what were you doing differently with carabas aside from you you, you kind of got into the detail of how you wanted it to be set up how the energy you wanted yes. it to have anything uh, specific about the operations or uh, things you were going to do differently to increase margins or something like along those yeah, lines? Yeah, you know, uh, again, it was the first time I had done an open kitchen. And so laying it out, and Johnny and I walked through each dish, you know. Okay, here's your mushrooms. So I'm going to grab, you know, this many mushrooms or a scoop of mushrooms. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to put olive oil in the pan. I'm going to saute the mushrooms. Then I'm going to turn back around to the refrigerator. We call them a... Uh, open top refrigerators or raised rail refrigerators and I'm going to get the garlic or the olive oil or the parsley or whatever and we laid out to each station the grill station the saute one the pasta station the salad station I'd never done that before. So, I just kind of put stuff in. Yeah, so basically you're intentional. You're thinking ergonomically. Uh, you're getting your mise en place, right, yes. from day one. Yes. Uh, fewest steps, what makes the most there you go. sense. There you go. Uh, those, 
those things are, you know, just the time and energy. You don't That's think right. about it. It compounds. And it's, a right. it's, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of time and a waste of energy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then the wow. wood-burning pizza oven was a big, big uh, part of it. I've got a funny story about that. But um, you just learn, you know. It's, this is my fourth restaurant. I've just taken everything I've learned by going, again, to New York or other restaurants in Houston. And you, you, you remember that. And you just learn as you go. It's experience. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing beats experience. And that's basically what it was. Yeah. Um, one thing that I haven't gotten a chance to ask you yet, and I asked Johnny this question about you, but what was it about him that attracted you to him? Uh, what, what attributes, what qualities did he have that made him a good partner? Because partnerships are very important. Yeah. you got to find the right partner. So what made him the right partner? How did he compliment you? May I add family partnership is very tough. (laughs) You know, that's another uh, piece of the puzzle that's very hard. Johnny's smart, you know. I I knew he was a hard worker. Uh, He's got, you know, a great personality. He's a good bull. You can say say bullshitter. Bullshitter. (laughs) Like me. People have said far worse on the show. Okay. (laughs) So uh, I just knew he was the right guy. You know, a lot of it's gut. It's gut, and I had a good feeling about Johnny. And I'd go by and visit him like three times a week and have a beer and a dozen oysters, and we'd just shoot the bull, you know? And, yeah. And that's how I got to know. I mean, he's my nephew, and I, I, I was his uncle, and uh, so we grew up together. But, you know, just picking his brain about what he knows, and, you know, not, and I didn't even know about Carabas. Just talking shop, you yeah. know? That was it. Cool. Um, okay, so. Talk to us about Carabas. Uh, now you're open, right? Um, yes. What What was it about Carabas that was so successful, knowing what you know now, reflecting back, still is successful to this day? I shouldn't say it was. Great fresh ingredients. You know, Italian food, you can't cover it up. You know, with like French, you know, have these butter sauces, Mornay, Hollandaise. So you have to look at the ingredients coming in the back door and then preparation executing and Johnny was in the kitchen I don't know how or the first year or two years you know again I'll tell you about me sleeping on the couch Johnny used to sleep on the floor in Man. the office dirty floor take some uh, dish towels and roll them up and he between lunch and dinner it was open all day but when it died down he would sleep so Johnny worked very hard again it was the open kitchen the wood burning pizza oven all that came together to make Carabas different and uh, the first night we opened was December 26, 1986. We were, we had to open. We had no money left, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget that first night. You know, we had maybe served maybe 50 people, open quietly, which is the way to do it. Uh, but then it grew. And then uh, a few weeks later, we got a, a, a write-up in the um, Houston Chronicle food section every Thursday. And then uh, that's when it really took off. Uh, and it's tough, you know. You're, you make a lot of mistakes. You burn a lot of things. You have to watch everything, how they're preparing the food in the back and making the sauces, because these people are, they've never done this either. Yeah. And we had a lot of people that never cooked before. Uh, and you know, the other thing that was a big element were the waiters, the, the front house staff. If they came in for an interview and they were. Uh, well-groomed, uh, nice, clean clothes, firm handshake, looked you in the eye when they talked to you. We hired them. 
And they uh, maybe had never had restaurant experience, but we didn't care about that. We can teach you to carry a tray and to take an order, but we can't teach you heart and personality. And so we'd hire them, and, you know, some of them had experience and some of them didn't. So some of the things I'm pulling from you um, that, that was different about Carabas, or maybe you lean more into these uh, attributes was hiring for personality, not on skill. That's right. And the other big thing um, you said, opening quietly, that's the way to do Ooh, it. Yeah. So why is that, in your opinion, the way to do it? Well, if you start advertising from the, from the point, uh, from the, the very get-go, uh, you know, you're just trying to get this thing open. It's a new concept. It's a new restaurant. And opening quietly is the best way to go to give your cooks and your front house staff to let them warm up. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the old days, you started your car. You don't have to do it. And you had to let it warm up for two or three minutes. Yeah. So it's the same way. You you, you just can't throw them into the fire. Yeah. And throw yourself into the fire. You've got to work out the, the kinks. The, yeah, and you've got to develop the systems and the processes and the standards. There right? you go. Um, if you open to 200 people the first night. It's going to be a disaster. You have a problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As we say, you're going to be in the weeds in the right. restaurant business. Um, so when did things, how did the Carabas evolve in the first couple of years? Because you went from one to two locations pretty quickly, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we opened uh, the Voss location, like 88. Okay. And I just went to Johnny, and it was very successful. I said, we need to open another one. He's like, are you crazy? I said, no. I mean, Houston's a big city. And uh, I think we need to do something out the memorial area. So we started looking around, and we uh, had a realtor. His name was Ed Wolf, who just passed away, and just a brilliant guy, great, best realtor I'd ever known. And he said, okay, let me think about it. And, and he called us one day. He says, come on, I'm going to take you to a spot. And he took us, and it's the corner of Voss and Woodway, and it was a restaurant that had been like five or six failures. And we said, Mr. Wolf, come on, man. You know, this, he said, no, 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 listen, hear me out. The front door is in the wrong area. The front door is facing this parking lot on the side of the building. He said, let's move the front door to facing Voss. And, uh, man, it'll make a world of difference. So we trusted him and he negotiated the lease and we remodeled the building and it was a success it was big success so now we had two restaurants we took marty reichenthal who started as a server for us and then johnny was you know coming at eight in the morning leaving at one in the morning and marty said you know let me close and johnny back then was very protective and said no, i don't i don't know i don't know if i trust yeah. you he didn't tell marty that <laughs> so then marty started closing and little by little became a manager and then when we opened the second one, then we sent Marty over there. Johnny sent Marty over there. Yeah. Johnny ran. And, uh, you know, Marty is a hard worker like Johnny and I. And he just, you know, put his heart into it and built it. And it does So there's really a, well. a lesson there, too, is that, you know, to, to get trust, you need to give trust, right? That's correct. And uh, you need to extend that trust to, to develop that culture of trust. That's correct. And you have to be willing to give some of it up because you'll just burn out. And if you have people that are capable and they're looking to shoulder some of the burden, you know, to, to, to pick up some of the slack, then give them that opportunity and, you know, have the best. Don't don't be so skeptic, right? You have to empower people. If yep. you have somebody good, they want to grow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you just say, well, we're only doing this restaurant and, you know, Johnny's running it and. You know, if you have somebody good, then you go, well, you know, this guy's really good, and he can run a restaurant 
or she can run a restaurant. So, you know, if we open another one, there they are. And uh, why not, you know, give them the opportunity like the opportunity was given to us. Gotcha. So um, we didn't really get a lot of time to talk about it with uh, Johnny, but he had mentioned, and I'm assuming that this culture is something that you guys shared, that he's not a huge fan of chains. He never really wanted to be a chain. Um, I agree with him. So what was it, 90 was 91 or 90 how long did it take for Carabas to be swallowed by or absorbed and taken up with we a, signed the contract in 1993 93 that's right and again uh, Chris Sullivan the CEO said hey we're going to need somebody that knows Carabas to move to Florida that's where we're going to start we did Florida because Outback Steakhouse was stationed in Florida there's the home seat and we of course were in Texas Houston so in case there was a divorce then we could take keep the Carabas in Houston and then Outback Steakhouse would keep the Carabas there and then they'd have to change, you know, yeah, branding. the branding yeah. concept. So, uh, we just, again, opportunity. We saw opportunity and we knew that Johnny and I knew that we could keep it if we hire the right people, we could keep it Carabas. We mm-hmm. could keep it family oriented. Not like uh, Olive Garden or yeah. um, you know, steak and ale, or you know, it was going to have people that we instilled. You know, if you think about it, most chains are just a corporate imagination, a corporate development. Yeah, Carabas were two real guys. You yeah, know, two chubby Sicilian American guys <laughs> that really started that that grew with it, that didn't leave it. So we did the commercials. We did a cooking show for PBS. You were the brand. You know, it was we an extension were, of you. There you yeah. go. We were the brand. Uh, that's changed. Uh, you know, not so much anymore. It's and it became more chainy. I don't know if I want to get into it and <laughs> give a negative vibe out well, of this. You but. know, honestly, like one of the reasons. So when I first started this podcast, I only spoke to independent restaurant operators, mm-hmm. and I and because I, I felt like there needed to be more independent restaurant operators. The mission of the podcast was to empower independent restaurant operators so we gotcha. could compete with the big chains and corporations and to give them those skills, the knowledge that they needed to compete with those big or- corporations. Right. And over the past couple of years, I started, you know, there's a I started really kind of being open and honest and trying to practice my own core values. Because I say one of the core values is you got to be open-minded, right? you got to, you know, not everything is as it, is, it seems. Right. So I started letting some of these franchises and corporations come on the show that have really incredible reputations because we can learn so much to, to be able to scale something. Like you've been able to scale Carabas. Like yes. there's some lessons there that we can take. And you got to go to those people who have done it to share those lessons with the independents, right? That's correct. So, um, you know, I, I get it, you know, that... And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more open-minded. I'm trying to learn uh, what's going through the minds of these people who did corp- get incorporated or franchise. And nine times out of ten, they're like, ah, it's not really for me. I don't really like it. Um, do you mind getting more into it? And why? Did you, did you not like it? Did you get away from it on purpose? You know, when we did it, uh, Giant and I went to every opening. He would go to one. I would go to one. And I went to places I've never seen before in my life. Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, you know. But that meant something to the staff, the, the you know the waiters and the uh, trainers and the kitchen. You know, here's the the uh, the guy that started, the founder, coming all the way to Wisconsin or Tennessee or whatever to give his time to spend a day or two with us, uh, talk about how it started and what we're trying to achieve, and we would do a, a line check, which is when you go 
down your service line, you taste sauces, you cook one or two dishes, and I would talk about wine, or we'd have, you know, the local wine rep come in, and we'd taste a few wines, and, you know, so that meant a lot to everybody. You know, we don't do that now, Carabas isn't growing, but it just, uh, there was a new regime that took over. Uh, Chris and Bob and Tim were, you know, ready to kind of get out of it, and, uh, the new regime now is just. Uh, was this the transfer from the the, the uh, Outback Steakhouse to, to the Bloomin' Brands? Brand, yeah, okay. and the new regime. There's we lost a lot of people, great people. We lost a lot of uh, area managers. We call them JVPs. We lost a lot of managing partners. The guy and the general managers. It's just uh, not focused on the soul, the, the soul, the customers, <laughs> the. I don't want to put words into your mouth. Yeah, it's it's based on the dollar and profit. Okay. It's it's cost driven and not sales driven. Yeah. And and the way you get sales as you know is treating customers right and getting to know them and good food, great service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I could put this on your podcast, but that's the truth. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. Yeah, no. And, and I think that's kind of what my gut's always told me. And I feel like uh, we live in a transactional world today. Yes. And I think it's an issue. Yes. And I, want, I would like to see the world become more like it was, more transformative, where yes. a relationship meant something. Correct. You know, and, and that's how I hope to transform the industry is by putting more emphasis on the relationships, on the mentorship, on the sharing knowledge, on the empowering others, on the yes. culture, you know? And that's what we're here to do. And I, you know, and I, I, kinda, I picked that up from you and your nephew. Um, so you get away, you break out from um, the uh, Carabas family and your, your restaurants that were in Houston. Um, and you, you come to, to Austin. Well, yes. Bring us, let's try to talk about more current times. Well, Johnny uh, and I had gone 18 years, and, you know, it's time to go your separate ways. You know, John Lennon left, Paul McCartney split off. Actually, you know what? I, I, I'm going to cut you short because okay. I am curious about one thing before we move on to talk about more current time. Anybody who is looking um, to take that corporate route or to invest into, this is something I want to talk to you about, uh, a franchise or uh, to to own a pre-existing concept that's scaling, right? They're coming in as an owner. What advice do you have for that person that's looking to take that route? Like, what did you learn about that type of operation? What what can we absorb from you? You know, you, you have to know who you're getting into bed with. You know, so we did some research on Chris and Bob and Tim. You have to make sure, I hate to get legal, but you have to make sure your contract is right. Uh, you know, something I wish we would have done not with the OSI guys, Chris and Bob and Tim, because of them. But I, at the beginning, I wish we would have done a licensing agreement saying you can't use, you know, we determine the products that you use to cook. We determine the menu. We we are in charge of the uniforms. We are in charge of the decor. Um, so that the founding fathers, Johnny and I, we had the input we it was our baby and so that you couldn't without our permission start doing changing it up yeah and uh that's one thing i keep regret. it pure right keep it pure keep it family and that's one thing i regret but we didn't know we were young guys well, that's, you that's why we're here i mean because you had to learn the hard way yes. there are people that can 
who maybe have this opportunity because they have created something really great and they, they have been discovered by somebody with deep pockets that wants yes. to take it nationwide. What are the things we need to know to, to protect yourself? So yeah. what you said was uh, get the contract done right. Yeah. And one of the variables from a contract done right, what that looks like is purchasing power. That's right. Uh, anything else that we need to know? That's about it. You know, you're teaming up with these guys that have a lot of purchasing power, that have a lot of clout. At the time that we went with them, they had, I don't know, 40 to 100 restaurants. And uh, it was a good partnership. It was, it was a struggle. You know, uh, they started changing up a little bit. And I'll never forget Chris Sullivan, you know. He said, he called said, Johnny, I'm coming down. I want to talk to you and Damien and meet you at Carabas. And uh, we met that night. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I want to apologize to you. I, I'm doing something that I didn't like. You know, I came to see this. And I'm changing it. We're changing it. It's my fault. And if you'll just, because Johnny and I were about to cut it off. Yeah. And if you just give me a year, and I think I can do it before a year, but I'll turn it around. I'll yeah. make sure we go back to where you where you were, your vision, and I'll get involved. And he did. And, but I got to hand it to Chris, man. You know, he, he, he said, I'm sorry. And, and most CEOs don't do that. Yeah. Um, you know. It's amazing what an apology will do, right? Oh, man. You I'm know, if you're feeling powerful. sorry out there, uh, you know, say it. Cause it's powerful. It is so powerful. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Okay. Bringing it uh, back to where we are now. Uh, I asked you about Mandolas. You moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, this is your namesake. This is this is uh, everything that you've spent your life uh, dedicated to hospitality, yes. and you're pouring yes. it all into Mandolas now. Yes. So take us through your mindset for Mandolas and, and what makes this so special what you're doing now well originally i used to go to new york and boston rhode island a lot and i loved the delis and they, they would sell uh salumi and they would sell imported tomatoes and olive oil and i just just love that and then i'd go to the local pastry shop and you know have a coffee and uh, i just fell in love with that i said one day i want to do uh, an italian market deli you know in houston and never got to houston but so I moved to Austin. Trina and I were just ready to change the scenery. What year is this? This was uh, around 2000. Okay. So before the big Austin boom. Way before. Which is a good it's thing. It's going crazy. <laughs> so we came and I was going to retire. But I, you know, I was 50 or so. I'm not going to retire. So I always wanted to own a little winery, which turned out to be a big winery. And then put a restaurant next door to it and vineyard. Uh, the winery came first, and then a few years later, opened the restaurant. And then I wanted to do the Italian market deal. And so I uh, found a location, and we opened not too long after the winery. And I had all the groceries, and but I knew I'm not going to make money on groceries. and So then I wanted to put a little restaurant in there, open kitchen, pizza oven. And... Uh, I just love that, you know, pastries. We have a pastry shop. Everything's made in-house. Uh, and Italian pastries and cookies. Gelato. You know, I never served gelato before. Had so a, what was it exactly that you were trying to achieve? What was the feeling that you were trying to achieve? What were you trying to communicate to the guests? You're working into a New York, Boston deli mm-hmm. with uh, also a kitchen and sit down at a table and eat. But you could also... Go over to the jelly, uh, jelly uh, gelato <laughs> yeah. uh, counter and get a gelato after you eat, or uh, a biscotto, a cookie of some kind, or a cake. Uh, and uh, that 
that was very unique. Yeah. Very unique. And so that's what I was trying to achieve. And we were going to just do one. And then I talked to <laughs> Trina, my wife, uh, and she first, I talked her into it, which is yeah. very hard because <laughs> Trina's, you know, she's a very smart woman and very business minded. But I said, if we get help, you know, somebody that's run multiple restaurants. Yeah. And so she had a guy she knew and we hired him. And so we opened number two and then uh, that was in Bee Cave. And then we opened number three. And then we just opened. And the how Cedar many Park. years in between each of these openings? About a, two years, because you have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, so you said you op- you moved to uh, Austin in two thousand. You around, opened the first yeah. location in two thousand, or were you? No, it took a while. Off? It took about a year. Yeah, there you go. And uh, we're in Driftwood, uh, and, which is a small uh, drinking village with a fishing problem. Okay. And uh, <laughs> uh, and so Lucina's in Driftwood. We found property here and fell in love with it. Awesome. Out of the city. You know, you're close enough to be in, in the center of Austin in 30 minutes. Yeah. But it's serene out here. The hills. The hills, the start of the hill country. And um, I wanted to do something. I just want to sit around the house and go crazy. Uh, my father was a big believer that if you retire within a few years, you're dead. So you have to keep moving. Use it or lose it is what Use they it say, or lose right? it. There you go. And so we opened that, and then one led to another and another, and Cedar Park opened about a year and a half ago and doing very well. Are there things that you've done um, with all these 40 years of experience, right, compounding on each other, uh, that you, what have you learned that you, that you apply to your new restaurants that you learned the hard way or the things that only experience will tell you? Treat your, your employees with, with respect. Treat your customers. Get to know your customers. Try to remember their names. I used to have a little pad, you know, and I'd write down their name and kind of associate their name with their face. It's neat to call when they come in, Mr. Smith or Mr. What's it do when you when you use somebody's name? You know what? A lot of restaurants don't do that, and your customers will kind of kind of look at you like, "Wow, you remember my name?" And I get my waiters here at Lucina and at Carabas and at Damien's to remember people's names. You had to have a pad. You know, and write down their name. People love to be seen. They love to be acknowledged. Oh, yeah. And everyone's favorite word is their own name. That's correct. And if you can use it, and it shows that you care enough to memorize it, you know? And that's powerful. When, when you, It's a one way to show you care. That's right. And another way is, uh, you know, your hostesses, they knew people. And they had their name. Or mm. they would have the reservation, and they would put the table they sat them at. So I'd go over and look, you know. Oh, you know, that's yeah. Mr. Jones. Okay. Yeah, some tricks. So what are, yeah. what are some other tricks you would use to make sure you could remember names? I don't know. That was about it. You know what? I, now, there's one thing. So there was a man named Mr. Bowman. So I pictured him in a Robin Hood outfit with the tights and that feathered hat <laughs> and holding his, you know, the thing on his, by the sheath or whatever they called it where you kept your your arrows. And I remembered his name by that. I would picture him as yeah. Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, a word association, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I do to help me remember names, I, I think of somebody that I know who has the same name. That's cool. And I remember, and I tie their face. That's the cool. I do that. Yeah, I do the same thing, me. yeah. Uh, but the power of a name and just in, in passing that on to your staff and making sure your staff knows names and, and, t- and testing your, your staff, right? Yes. Like, what's this? Like, showing a yeah. picture. Like, who's yeah. this? Yeah, who's this? True. Who's this? That's right. Um, anything we have not discussed up to this point? I don't think so. I think you've covered it all. Uh, I'm tired now. I think I'm going to go home <laughs> and take a nap. It's noon. Yeah, well, not mean to exhaust you. You were <laughs> no, great. But thank you so much for having oh, me on the show. We're not quite done yet. Oh, I'm we still sorry. got a speed round, and oh. i got to ask you one more question before we go to that speed round. So the mission statement is to uh, transform the industry, or right? So we're here to transform the industry. Yes. Um, how have you transformed over the past 40 years? Who are you today versus the man you were 40 years ago? 
You know, I still basically do the same things. I know there's a lot of trendy restaurants out there, but I've never been a trendy guy. I've always just kept with blocking and tackling, you know, and following your your principles, your beliefs, treating customers well, serving great food. It's again, it's all about blocking and tackling, you know. It's, it's uh, I don't. Johnny used to say I used to get cute on our cooking <laughs> show. I would decorate something, and he'd say, "Don't get cute." And he's right. You know, that's Mama's dish. Just put it on the plate, put the meatballs on top, and don't, you know, put a, a sprig of rosemary, you know. And he's right. Don't get cute. Play it straight. You I know, love it. serve the dish the way it should be served. Awesome. One more quick break. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. I think uh, Damien's got family he's going to eat lunch with. And then we'll, we'll be right back. Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees it's that simple find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how Cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for Cake Point of Sale. But you have to use my links. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, Attention to detail. Attention Attention to detail. detail. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, Eating pasta. (laughs) (laughs) What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um. Again, I think you look people in the eyes and, uh, are, you know, are you friendly? You know, you, you can tell right away. When someone walks in for an interview, you, you can tell right away they're not going to make it. I love it. What is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge is getting around to all my restaurants. I'm older. I have two young children, a wife, and uh, it's hard, you I know. Bet. It's hard. And I'm, I'm just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. You know, be honest. Be, uh, don't be fake. Uh, you know, 
be, be yourself uh, and have respect for your customer. It's not uh, you're 22 years old and you're calling some of our older customers man and how are y'all guys. Yeah. You know, it's yes sir, no man. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is the way you go above and beyond what's expected from your guests. You know, the thing is you have to uh, pay attention and you you keep your glassware polished. You pre-bust tables. People shouldn't be sitting there with a dirty table while they're still conversing or having. Shouldn't have focaccia on the table while you're eating dessert. What is one uncom or sorry? What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? I would say uh, read a good cookbook, mm. like I said, Giuliano Bugiali or Marcella Hazan, uh, and read. Don't worry about the recipes, even though you want to read them and try them. Read what the history and where it came about. Beautiful. And uh, what's the title of that book? Uh, Giuliano Bugiali's is The Fine Art of Italian Cooking. Beautiful. And what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Get to know your customers. What is one piece of technology you've adopted that's had a huge impact on your operation? I was one of the first guys in uh, Houston to have the point of sale, you know, yep. it was micros. Yep. I think that has helped tremendously because I couldn't understand, working in the kitchen, I couldn't understand what he was writing. Yeah. It made a world of difference. Then I see today you're, you guys are working with Aloha. Yes. That's what I right. cool. yes. uh, If you got, this is the last question, by the way. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind, the tie to your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Work hard. One. Uh, be friendly. Two. Uh, respect your industry. Three. This has been a great chat, Damien. We Thank wrap you. up every chat by calling somebody Thank out. Thank you. Who's one person you respect and admire? That's how I found you. Johnny called you out. Who's one person you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest? Like you I made admire Johnny. Say. You know, I put the, I put the menu together and <laughs> got the restaurant laid it out, but he brought it to national prominence. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so any way we can connect with you, if you want to come join your team, work for you, uh, if you have questions about the interview, what's the best way to connect? Just uh, call me. <laughs> you sure you want me to put your number in the show notes? <laughs> oh, that. Uh, you can email me. Okay. At dmandola at mandolas.com. Awesome. And this is episode 643. Head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash 643. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as a link to any tools, books, services recommended. And again, Johnny, thank you. So, sorry, Johnny. Uh, Damien, That's thank okay. you. okay. That's a compliment. <laughs> thank you, Damien, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. All right. There we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurants Unstoppable. Just a quick reminder that on September 3rd, I am going to be hosting a live webinar with Casey Anton. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash profit first to register for that webinar and get all of your profit first money management system questions answered and to really dive into what makes the restaurant industry unique when it comes to using the profit first system. Get that big picture, hang out with us and it's really important, guys, that you have a system to manage your, your money. Um, this is probably one of my biggest challenges. I am going through the process of implementing the Profit First Money Management System for my own business, and we can go through it together. So again, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Profit First and come hang out and learn all about the Profit First Money Management System. Peace.